Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ramon Foster Show brought to you by the Get-Go Cafe and Market where they're always open for business, hot, fresh food served around the clock. Ramon's in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And Ramon, what's going on? Man, if I tell you, you'd be like, when do you go to sleep? Okay, so I'm up at 4.30, <laughs> do work, come home, me and the wife time, okay? Then 2.30, our kids start school at 7.30, 7.25 actually. Get out of school at 2.25. So the day starts early for us, ends early for us. From that time, it's the baseball park, DK. So Monday, we have the older kid game. Tuesday, we have practice. Wednesday, we have a doubleheader with our youngest at the park. Thursday, we got another older kid game. Friday is usually a free day, but it's not because we're traveling for travel ball. So that's my retired life schedule. I was going to say, you know, people think that when you guys retire from the NFL that it's like you just sit around and wait for Sundays to just, uh, you know, like like Orlando Pace in the uh, DirecTV ad. Is that DirecTV yeah, where, I, where, where he comes in and you just think that that's all they're doing? You no. Know? Sit I, around. DK, I might be busier now than I was when I was playing. I think I could use the excuse when I was playing. Man, I'm too tired from working out. Like people know. I'm on the air from six to ten. I got a little free time to get a workout in and say do some personal stuff. And it's like, you got time, big fella. Tomorrow. Okay. Whatever day tomorrow is, I gotta go help somebody move. So uh, I know, see if I know. I'll tell you what, I gotta tell you that if I had a moving chore, the first person I'm calling, the first person I'm grabbing my phone and, and hooking up with is the former offensive lineman. I'm like <laughs> 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 because who I, also has a truck and none of my friends oh, have trucks oh, no. but this guy bad combination mode that's why it i know we got to do a show but if we had the segue like one of the things we contemplated rj is 12 be 13 in september okay that's three years away from driving potential car depending on how he acts in his grades and 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 okay <laughs> to that point i've been talking to my wife already like do he or do he not get a truck? Because if you go to college with a truck, which he's only getting one vehicle from oh. us, okay, you become the, hey, homie, can I borrow your truck? <laughs> you, tell me I'm lying, DK. <laughs> tell me I'm lying, man. And and son of the former offensive lineman. Yes. It. So it's it's oh. two things for sure, for sure. He's graduating high school and he's going to college, I guess, so. Uh, but you know those decisions to be made. Do you get them a four-seater? Do you get them a truck? Do you get a small car? Because if we, if we get an SUV, that's six people in a car. And we know how that can go. We're going to talk about some football today here on the Ramon Foster Show. Uh, we're, right. we're going to, in our second segment, discuss Alejandro Villanueva's comments mm. about the Steelers. Or maybe about the Steelers. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, but we're going to start off today's show with the AFC North in general. Uh, it, it's it's looking and shaping up to be the division that a lot of people had expected really when Joe Burrow came into it, probably more than anything else, because now you, you finally looked like it was top to bottom. And, of course, when you're talking about bottom, you're always talking about the Bengals. <laughs> Burrow comes in and kind of evens that playing field out. Moan, I have seen predictions that the Steelers will finish third. I have even seen a handful that have them in last place. I'm trying to process a Pittsburgh team that has TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick, uh, all those receivers, that quarterback that they still have. Yeah. And now Najee Harris. 
finishing in last place. What do you see when you look at the AFC North? But, uh, I okay, from the North, first, I'll tell you, you got Cleveland, who's finally deciding that they're going to play ball with the rest of the NFL. <laughs> you have that, and you know what I mean by that. How are do. you one of the most losing organizations in the early 2000s, the 2010s, and you get all the high draft, uh, high, high draft picks, and you still suck? Because okay. you draft thirty-year-old quarterbacks in the first round. That's how. So you you have them that decided they're going to spend money in free agency. They're going to decide to build and find a stable coach and build a culture there. So now they're at a point to where it was built around the catalyst of Miles Garrett and everybody else has kind of fell in place from their running backs to their quarterback um, to the wide receivers. They've gone on and got hot free agents and traded for guys and paid money for guys. They spent money on the offensive line. They spent money at the wide receiver position. They spent money on defense. Um, they drafted, if we're being honest, in the last two, three years, well. They've done well. So they're now getting to the point where this new turnover is Stefanski is their head coach. He is, Kevin Stefanski. Kevin Stefanski is their head coach. They got a sense of stability now. From it seems like ownership is kind of backed this way out of it. Um, they're finding themselves in a let the coaches coach and we're going to let the players play mentality. Cool. They're finally playing ball with everybody else. Baltimore got Lamar. He's as dynamic as you can get. They have a, a, a head coach who's been stable. Um, they have the rebuilding offensive line, though. Um, that's going to be one of the things they got to figure out. And also, we saw multiple receivers turn down their offense. Uh, Greg, uh, was it Greg Roman? Yep. Because they don't know what Lamar is going to do. The thing about Lamar is from everybody I've ever known him, from my brother who watched him all of his career, who played at the University of Louisville, also said, never count Lamar Jackson out. Whatever that means, that, 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 that I don't think they care if he's throwing the tight ends or running backs or he's running the ball himself. He always finds a way. They found a way to revamp that defense. Calais Campbell, oh, my goodness. He's there still. You got a group of guys with – that's been there and have a what do you want to call it a uh, play like a raven mentality? Yes, that play actually like is a, a term they use. Yes, it is. So you, you have those two that everybody's looking at and position themselves the way Baltimore has drafted wide receivers in the first couple rounds. Also, so you have to be able to deal with that. Um, the other part of it is looking at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is a team that has a young, solid offense. I mean, a young, solid quarterback. They also drafted linemen, signed a, a, a free agent uh, starting lineman. So they look like they're starting to get to a point. They have some playmakers at wide receiver. And Joe Mixon is still, to me, despite his past, is one of the better young running backs in this league. So when you have those two dynamics, you have the ability to win. Uh, on defense, they get, who was it, uh, Hendrickson from the Saints. Yes. He's no Geno, and I'm not sure what's going to happen to Geno. Dunlap is already gone. Um, the North is sticky this year. <laughs> Okay, I don't think Cincinnati is a third place team. I look at um, them as still rebuilding. They're about a year or two away. They got to protect Joe Burrow still. They got to find a way to get the ball to Jamar Chase, and they'll be on their way. I don't see them as number three. So my team, our team, the team we know and love, Pittsburgh. The reason Pittsburgh is being mentioned in third place is simply because they made all they did Pittsburgh type things. Didn't go get the pick that you thought they should have got. Well. I ain't going to say should have got in first round because Najee was pegged to the, the Steelers since day one. Yes, he was. Um, but it wasn't a overly sexy draft is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. it, it, you got Ben who everybody's counting out and which you know, like I know you never count out until he's just done. He's going to die out on that field, not, not literally, but he's a guy who's a warrior type. 
you got him being aged out by young quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson, Baker, and friggin' Joe Burrow. So it looks old. And then you look at this offensive line that's newly rebuilt. The only guy that's still there is David DeCastro. From right. as far as the the, ten, the 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 lineage of saying this O-line is good. Two young offensive tackles has got to work themselves, Zach and Chooks. And you got a team that's lost a starting running back. Uh, Juju's in a position where we saw him have a down year. And you left with the Pittsburgh Steelers looking like they are stuck in the sand. Mind you, they still have Minka. They still have TJ. They still have um, Cam. They still got to it. They still got a lot of guys. You know, Devin, Bush is, Devin Bush is coming back from an ACL tear. Yes. A lot of guys and talent on that team. The thing is this, though. The new wave in the, in, in the NFL is to win with offense, and at least during the regular season. I think Tampa Bay showed us during the, the postseason, you can do all you want to with the cute stuff on offense, but if we can beat you with our defense, we will. Pittsburgh's got to find a way to put up points this year. I know a lot of people are doubting Ben because of his arms. I don't care if you call it his leg his legs or whatever the case may be. It's just a lot of question. And Pittsburgh is not usually in this type of position because they're usually stable. New offensive coordinator. It's it's just a long laundry list of things that are outside of the uh, outside of the mindset of people who are Pittsburgh Steelers fans. This isn't the norm for us. So if it's not the norm for us, you know, the national media is not going to take it with. It, they're not going to give you the praise that you deserve. No, they're not. And and I think that's the thing more than anything else. You said the Steelers doing Pittsburgh-type things. Well, Pittsburgh-type things tend not to be sexy and splashy. No. And everyone knew the Steelers were going to take some hits with free yeah. agency. And they did, losing Bud Dupree, Mike Hilton, and others. Um, at the same time, when you get right down to it, other than Bud, they're stars. Yeah. Stars are still here but you the okay, drink the drink stirrers are still here the areas that we're concerned about are things like right outside cornerback with stephen nelson yeah. departing uh depth at outside linebacker mm -hmm. but for the most part moan i i could sit here and make a a, a solid i really feel this argument that the steelers have are either the same or maybe even a little bit better, like at running back at certain positions, yeah. if if this offensive line holds. And I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to an offensive lineman, mm -hmm. but they feel like, to me, the biggest swing vote or the biggest variable. Mm -hmm. They are, if you look at the starters in all those cities aside from Pittsburgh except for Cincinnati. Um, the thing that I think people are going to slant more towards with Cincinnati is the fact they have a youthful quarterback over Ben. And that's where you're at. Um, as far as the offensive line in Pittsburgh between Zach and Chooks, not a whole lot of experience. Um, going against some monsters in the AFC North is going to be real. Okay. Uh, and then you got to factor in the fact that you don't know what type of year is going to be for Pittsburgh, <clears throat> excuse me, simply because. This is a year where the NFL and all the analysts have broken down and said Pittsburgh has the hardest schedule out of everybody this year. Yes. Yeah. The North is wild, okay? Uh, the NFC is going to be tough also, and I think they got the AFC – is it NFC West? Yes. This year too? Yeah, Seattle and everybody, yeah. <clears throat> they got their hands full. 
Um, and this offensive line is going to see some guys that are bringing it. And they got an older quarterback in Ben who they don't feel like is very mobile. Every quarterback in the AFC North right now technically is mobile. Joe Burrow is going to learn how to get down. But you got to ask yourself. <laughs> safely. Uh, safely. <laughs> ben is in a position, older guy. Who's older than Ben in the league? Tom Brady right now? If Brady is, yeah, because Breeze is gone, yeah. And then Ben. Yeah. Um, both not mobile guys in this league of offenses and also looking at the way uh, Matt Canada is going to run this offense, too. You got to ask yourself, is Ben getting on the center and, and rolling out to hand the ball off on a wide uh, handoff and then circling back for a play action? That's where you got to ask yourself, is he going to be in the shotgun the entire time? As they say, just waiting to get sacked or will his protection hold up? I, I understand why he's in that position. Why the, the, why the Steelers are peg for third place in the AFC North. There are some questions that got to be answered, but when you're coached by a really good coach and you got some guys, like you said, that that pulled, that that moved the needle when, when you mentioned their name, Cam, TJ, Minka, uh, Devin, even the young Devin Bush is the guy. Stefan Tewitt, they moved the needle. Mm -hmm. um, Joe Hayden still Joe, even in his Joe. upper age. Yep. You still got to say Joe still moves the needle when it comes down to it, and you hope that experience doesn't um, fall on the back burner to an offense that's highly inexperienced in a sense. When we come back in the next segment of the Ramon Foster show, we will talk about Ramon's main man, Alejandro Villanueva and what he had to say upon signing with the Baltimore Ravens. Welcome back to the Ramon Foster show. And Ramon Alejandro Villanueva is one of those people that I like to describe as a truth teller. Mm -hmm. Ali does not say to you what he thinks you want him to say even when you set him up with something that you think is going to be that kind of question and i've done this i've i've asked him a question about for example about uh respecting the military or the anthem or something like that and he comes back with something that totally throws you off like what yeah. not i don't even mean that in a bad way he just right. he's a truth teller so he signs with the baltimore ravens he does a press conference uh, with the 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 beat reporters there, and in speaking to them, he's he was asked about blocking uh, about the, the the joy of being part of a team that does run first. Yeah, and his response, and I'm quoting directly here, is it's not as fun for wide receivers because they're not getting all the catches, they're not making the TikToks and having fun on their social media, and. <laughs> here back in Pittsburgh, you tell me, without reading his mind, but you know the man, was that a shot at, at Juju Smith-Schuster and anybody else on the Steelers receiving court? It wasn't a shot at Juju. I think it was more a shot at the frustration of doing what offensive linemen at least want to have the ability to control. And that is being able to run the ball. And if you're good at it, DK, and you stick with it, you still run the ball. Um, when he says it's exciting for them um, to be able to do TikToks, I think it's simply saying, look, they want all the praise and they deserve it, but they got to get dirty with guys that get dirty on every single play, and that's the offensive line. You got to think about it. Wide receivers really don't want to block. If you look at them, they're stock blocking the entire time. And also, it definitely wasn't a shot at Juju either. Like, did he say it out of frustration from this last year? Probably. Probably. It was hard this last year for those guys. I talked to most of them on that offensive line, except for Matt Filer, because Matt is a quiet guy. He really he doesn't is. say much anyway. <clears throat> but 
from Dave to Pounce to Al, the frustration was high in the sense of being able to do something that you know you can control and that's moving bodies when you're given an opportunity. Even if you're not moving the line of scrimmage every single time, it's the fact that you got to stick with it instead of dropping back 50 times a game. No offensive lineman wants to do that. So when he said that, it wasn't a personal shot at Juju. Heck, if you look at Juju's streams, his Instagrams, his videos, his person videos, it's Al and him doing dances together. I was going to say Al was part of these choreographed yes. touchdowns and everything else. Al was one of those people that whenever Juju went down and did the uh, – Yeah. Remember? In the but end that's zone, also, the baby pose. That's also after breaking his back in protection probably eight times in a drive. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's where he was getting at. Juju knows it's not personal. The people in the media are going to take it that way. But it simply breaks down to, man, offensive alignment want to be able to run the ball. And, yes, you can say, well, you guys sucked at, at running the ball last year. That may be true. But if you stick with us and let us continue to churn it out, then you kind of have an opportunity to, 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 to catch a rhythm. If we go out there, DK, this is scenarios we've been put in sometimes. And where when we've been in a position, say, hey, go back to it and stick to it, it's worked out. We've had games where even in our prime, let's say 2013 all the way up to 2017, where we couldn't get the run going, and then we got away from it real quick. When you have somebody to walk in there and say, hey, run the ball, and we're going to run it no matter what. I don't care if we do get three and outs. We're still going to commit to running it. Then you have an opportunity to throw the defense off a little bit because they're expecting you to run the ball. They're expecting you to be a team that says, hey, they're going to they're gonna uh, throw the ball when we actually have a mindset of running it. And then it eventually cracks. You pound the rock until it actually cracks open, and that's what you want from the play calling. That's what you want from a game scenario. So – I don't necessarily blame him for saying it. I don't think it was a personal shot, 100%. No, but he's not going to miss his words when it comes down to saying what he do like. And you do know that Baltimore is a run-first type of team, even at quarterback. I mean, it may have been a double entendre to where he said something about Pittsburgh and said something towards Baltimore also. Sure. Like, Lamar, throw the ball, you know? Oh, well, let's let's stay on this subject of committing to the run because <laughs> I know one thing – that was universally true in my trips over to the corner where all the offensive linemen were, especially at Heinz Field, mm -hmm. was that I could tell what mood everybody was in based on how much you ran the ball. Meaning, if you guys were running the ball, there were these big smiles on your faces. It was like, yeah, yeah, especially yeah. Dave, especially Dave. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave looked like he just like finished consuming someone whole. You yeah, feel a part of it. 100%. Yeah, and there's just something that's different about running the ball. Why didn't the Steelers commit to running the ball, especially when, and this seems to be forgotten around here, mm -hmm. the first handful of games, this was not the 32nd best rushing attack in the mm -hmm. NFL, the first handful of games. No. It's not, and I, just being frank about it, I, I think it's, uh, you say why, you, would you get away from it? Complacency. Um, the the fact that you know seven is there, seven can will you a win. Uh, the, the really good quarterbacks in this league by themselves, I think, DK, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they win half, if not more than half of the games based on their arm, on the backs of their shoulders, elbows, and arms. That's Meaning fair. that if they walk That's into fair. the if they walk into the stadiums, we got seven. And I think sometimes when you're having a stagnant run game, when you're not having the ability to just get going the way you think you're supposed to, then you you fall on seven shoulder. 
you fall on Ben Roethlisberger's, ben Roethlisberger's shoulder. And how long has the city of Pittsburgh, every offensive coordinator he's had, has done with him? I don't care if you want to call it backyard football or not, but Ben has the ability to create and make plays with his arm and still with his legs at times, okay? Like, that's not the issue with it, with, with the run game. It's the fact that, look, I know in my back pocket I got somebody I can lean on, and it's seven. And that sucks for him because even if you so those times when you're not running the ball and you put it in his hands and you're expecting him to go 70% on 50 dropbacks, that's unfair to him too. So, again, when you switch offensive coordinators or you or let's say you mix up the offense, we're left with people saying Pittsburgh will finish third or fourth in the AFC North because it's, it's different. It's new mm -hmm. for us. This is what's happening right now. I don't think you'll have to see Ben drop back 50 times because Matt Canada is a guy, from my understanding, that's going to bring him around and try to, uh, I guess, lessen the use, uh, yeah, lessen the reps, uh, lessen the reps on his arms. Sure, on his arm. But let me play devil's advocate here with you. I'm if, here. If for on it. one hand, if Matt Canada is here and is putting in running schemes. Mm -hmm. and the offensive linemen, according to the Steelers, have been in part chosen or selected or assigned based on wide zone blocking schemes, which you and I have discussed. And from there, you go and you get Najee Harris. If, if you're putting all that into place and Ben doesn't go behind center. Yeah. I mean, you knew I was going to yeah. ask this. Aren't you kind of self-defeating the whole thing? I think Ben will conform. Do you um, really? And I, because not many people do. Because it, he's a guy that wants to win. He's everyone's also, picturing. I'm sorry, Ramon. Everyone's picturing yeah, no, right yeah. now that sidecar handoff. Ben, you know, to to Najee over here, and it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I think he has to, and he knows he has to. I don't think he would have came back if he didn't. Again, from my understanding. Uh, from the people I've had conversations with, it wasn't a him problem. Again, it was a relying on him problem. You put a lot on the guy's plate. He won't say much publicly about it. Like Ben might have his gr his gripes and 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 moans and groans in, in public here and there, but he's still gonna do the job. At the end of the day, I know this for a fact. This guy's trying to go out ten toes down with his feet standing up, seeing him do what Pittsburgh want him to do. That's why I don't count them out as being the uh, third best team in the AFC North. Like, they're going to have their hands full for sure. There are no cakewalks this year. There is no games where you can say, oh, we'll get the Browns. No, you can't say that anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't say, oh, we'll get Cincinnati because guess what? Cincinnati's young quarterback can make plays also. Um, they're piecing together an offensive line there that can help, and we know what Lamar can do on any single play, although I trust Pittsburgh defense a whole lot more. Um, he will conform. I think you'll see him getting on the center, if not for anything, DK. And you know this, and the listeners know this too. Count him out, and that's when he shows up. When he's knocked out of the Cincinnati game, and you see him walking back on the field, and they're booing and throwing drinks and throwing batteries and bottles. Why? Because <laughs> that's the situation he wants to be in. He loves that underdog mentality. Tell him he can't do something. And yes, I blocked for the guy for 11 years. I know I'm, my stance is different. But watching him and his mentality of being, you can't play spades. And then next thing you know, he's won $20 from everybody at the table. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's that.
I just love that you referred to it as the Cincinnati game because everybody knows exactly which you one you're know. talking about. You know. <laughs> we forget yeah. a, the whole scene with him going off on the cart and the beer bottles and cans coming down because of the way it ended up here. We we should do an entire show one of these we days should. on the Cincinnati. We game. could live stream that and just <laughs> talk through it. Take the commentary <laughs> off and just go through that. We would have... 50,000 plus views on that thing. That's guy. it. It's like, here comes, here comes, uh, oh, look, everyone, here comes Joey Porter onto the field. <laughs> What's I'll tell you what he said. Uh, I'll tell you what he said, what was actually going on. This we can is, do all of that. This is great. When we come back, a slice of life with Ramon. Welcome back to the Ramon Foster Show, and this is our slice of life with Ramon segment here. And Ramon, you mentioned earlier all of the baseball work that you're doing. And yes, I said baseball because you're taking RJ around and you're, you're seeing uh, everything that goes along with parenting at these fields. Okay. And all we ever see in these viral videos are the worst of the behaviors of parents in these situations. Is it really like that? Or, or, or do those things even exist? DK, I'm going to talk to you in a real low tone, okay? Okay. <laughs> the stuff that happens at Little League travel ball fields, diamonds, okay, complexes, has opened my mind to just what in the hell is going <laughs> on. I don't, it got to a point to me, and I'm going to talk more because my kids are home and I don't want them to hear everything, but it got to a point to where it was just like, this ain't sports. Um, What do you you mean? Just the the yelling, the, I saw this past Sunday, my kids were in the championship game. I was watching this, you know, double A, triple A, single leg type games. Well, the the team that was in the losing bracket, man, um, the moms are just pure agitators. I saw a woman talk so filthy to the opposing team, and then when the woman just said something slightly back to her, she was just like, oh, what about sportsmanship? I'm like, lady, you just dog cussed this woman out and flipped her the bird, and now you're playing victim. (laughs) I've seen this. I've seen um, just the pureness of the game be lost outside the fences. To where the kids don't have a doggone clue what's going on outside those fences. They just want to play, hear their parents cheer, and the 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 cruelty, the nastiness of like youth sports. Um, the way you'll have some parents who think their kids are just all great, all world, and they might be for you know under ten years old until competition catch ups, until genetics start to grow and speed levels off and hard work kind of tapers off a little bit. Um, watching that at the field from a guy that played at the highest level um, but didn't play that sport. And I understand I've talked to guys. i got friends that play MLB and big-time college baseball and stuff like that. And to hear them talk about what it takes and how special you got to be and these parents that think their kids are all world at 9 to 12 years old, um, you, I've gained a different perspective on like how hmm. nasty it is. And it's kind of hard for me because I was actually having a conversation with my wife the other night about um, like my mom didn't get involved with that type of stuff, you know, just the, the talking, the yelling and stuff like that. And I said to a point though, 
it's probably because me and my brother were the biggest kids out there. And when it came down to playing, we were going to play because we were athletic enough and we worked hard enough too. So mm-hmm. that wasn't an issue of can Ramon and Renardo get on the field. That was never an issue with anything like that. So for me to go into this and see, honestly, two parents, me and my wife, be involved in baseball and see or any sport and see how they're either judging their kids against our kids, trying to best our kids at all times or I ain't going to say trying to best us or anything, but I tell my kids now, when you walk across those white lines, and there's white lines on every single field, from mm-hmm. a basketball court, football, mm-hmm. baseball, y'all better turn it on. Because if they can get you, they're going to get you. And I hear their parents telling them how they need to get y'all. So when that switch is on, it better be a thousand watt light bulb. Because if they get a a glimmer of your shine, they're going to take it. Well, I I guess one of the things that pops to mind anytime this discussion is raised, whether it's parent behavior in youth sports or even the the coaches or whatever. I didn't even get to the coaches. Well, is, is, you know, one of your old teammates, James Harrison, caused a national fuss whenever the issue of the participation trophies came up. I remember. Okay. And – as best as I can recall or gauge, only about 99.999% of the people seemed to agree with him. Okay. <laughs> so on one hand, you can't say, well, everything should just be like you said, the parents are just sitting out there and clapping yep. when Junior does well. And on the other hand, say it's not about participation trophies. It's a serious thing. That's a heck of a line you're describing there because you just described it yourself. When RJ crosses that white line, it's it's it, no, it's him that's gotta go. It's it, him. Me yelling at my kid to tell him get that kid. You okay. see what I'm saying? Okay, like, okay, okay. The, the natural competition of the game take care of itself. Well, you have a parent interfering in a game or saying something nasty about a kid or nasty about a team or you are this and you are that's where it gets nasty at. Um, the competition aspect of, hey, if it's me versus you, I'm going to step on your neck. Like, that's my mantra, and my kids live by that, too. Not mm-hmm. in the sense of figurative, like, stepping on somebody's neck, but yeah, yeah, yeah. when it's competition, you go. And I've seen sometimes in this type of – in this competitive youth sports world that certain kids play certain positions that they're not supposed to, um, where <laughs> you have um, – daddy ball sometimes and not necessarily with our team but you see why is that kid a shortstop and i know that kid in the outfield probably is a better an athlete you know you see that type of stuff and i've seen where there's been situations where there is a secret vote given about who's going to be an all-star already and we're not even at that point i've heard about four or five older dads who are at their park watching their son's coach or volunteer coach and say I'll never forget when my son Joe was a valid all-star and he got voted out because the coach chose his son over my kid. And you know what happened to uh, Coach Joe's son? He never even played high school ball. But my How about kid, that? You know? How so about it's, that? It's a, I don't even know how to describe it, DK. And it, it even goes even, even further to the high school level in the, in the world. We're not even living in just yet with this whole participation thing. I've heard about teams, colleges, schools, recruiters, handlers is what they call them now. Schools will allow a handler or a parent or somebody to fake a scholarship offer. Oh, boy. 
they have an opportunity to say, I was given thanks to University of X for giving or, me a football scholarship. Uh, or an offering, offering. An offer. Yeah, an yeah. offer. It's gotten that far in this wow. world. Of recruiting. I had a guy tell me, hey, how old is your kid? I'm like, he's 12. Man, you should go ahead and get him a social media page. Why? So we can build content. The more content you build, the higher the stars they get. I'm like, but uh, what about what about playing? What about the actual play? <laughs> I've heard of people having a system in place to where if you go to a rival's camp three, four times, you learn the camp, you learn the throws, you learn what you need to do in those camps to push your stars up. And the more familiar they are with you, you go from a two-star to a three-star to a four to a five, simply because they know you and you continue to come to their camps. Wow. That's how crazy this youth sports is. DK, imagine you being in a position to where you post on your social media, I'm thankful for University of X for offering me a scholarship, and they're not be a scholarship. And they're not a scholarship. And they allow you to commit and then decommit later so you can get your buzz up. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> That's just the way things are, though, you know, Ramon. And usually whenever whenever I have any kind of conversation about something like this, I always like to say something like, but what can be done about it? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. I mean, I used <laughs> to get uh, – another. I used to get – I ain't going to say – I used to question. I ain't going to say get pissed. I used to question the whole back kids. You know, like, oh, we'll hold them back in the third or fourth grade. Oh, oh okay. Why? Okay. Why are we doing that? Because he has a greater chance of getting a scholarship. I, I, I truly understand that now because oh. if I ain't got to pay $120,000 for school and my son graduates high school at graduates high school at 19, almost 20, then well, that's 120,000 they save. But on the other side of it, you got this grown ass man that's competing with 17, 16 year olds. Yippee, huh? Good for him. That is your participation trophy. You know, if anybody was listening closely to your first segment, when you were talking about the different things that you do during the week and listening very closely, they would have picked up that you said bigger kids. He's, that he's playing with bigger kids because that is part of what you have RJ doing because you want yeah. him to actually get better, even if he doesn't look better in that context. That's a part of it. You take your lumps. When he started playing football this past year, we have a rule not playing football to the seventh grade DK. Okay. And um, I didn't go to NAM practice. I didn't do anything, try to convince him. I just told him, look, we're hammers, not nails. Simply put, did you give y'all? And then every day I just asked him, I had two weeks of spring practice. I asked him, how was it? It was good. Did you get somebody? Yeah. Did you get got? Yeah. That was it. That's <laughs> all I need to know. Did you get got is the best question <laughs> you could ask your child. Especially <laughs> if he answers yes, you have raised him well. Hey, <laughs> that you know, like I know, whatever you say in football, you better back it up. And as many times that I want to say, yeah, I made it to the top as far as the NFL, I've gotten God, okay? You have gotten God. I've covered you getting God. See what I'm saying? <laughs> I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the Ramon Foster show for this week. We're going to do another one next week. And this time, fulfilling Ramon's uh, pledge, we are going to the, – the slice of life with Ramon's segment will be so that we follow up on it about coaches at that level. Oh, yeah, he's already licking his lips on that one. I got high. You see my forehead sweat when talking about <laughs> you sports, man. Yep, I see how it goes. Thanks to everybody. Uh, for for tuning in to the Ramon Foster Show.